0: Well, beloved, it's time this morning to give our attention to God's Word. And as we prepare to do that, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your Word now. We pray that you make it clear, make it plain, easy to understand. And we pray, O Lord, that you would anoint it with your power so that it might be life-changing, mind-changing, so that, Lord, we might be renewed uh, unto eternal life, or unto progress and sanctification. Bless your word to us, O Lord, we pray, and help us by it and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, beloved, we've come to the final of our sermons in the series we've called Entitled. As you know, we have in this series attempted to sketch a, a basic biblical theology of the body. And our goal pastorally has been to try and cultivate a deeper appreciation for the body and a a deeper sort of uh, meaningfulness and joyfulness in living in the body in inhabiting these physical frames that the Lord has given us. In this last sermon, we want to think about a subject that, uh, frankly, everybody has to face, but rarely does anybody want to talk about, and that is death. To help us get our minds around uh, the Bible's teaching on death and the body, we're going to try in sur- to survey the Bible's teaching uh, and to try and bring into view some categories that help us to think about um, this important topic, to think about death. Now, one scholar has organized the Bible's teaching on death into three senses or three categories. He talks about um, death as a metaphor. A metaphor for things which uh, detract life, um, detract from life as God intended it. He talks secondly about death as a power. It's a power in opposition to the created order. And thirdly, most obviously, he talks about death as biological cessation, when the body stops living. As we survey the Bible this morning, we're going to see hints at all three of those categories, but what I want us to do is to divide our understanding into two parts. So think about um, death as it relates to death in Adam, and death, and how we understand it, as as people who are in Christ. So I want us to contrast the metaphor, the power, and the biology of death uh, for those who are in Adam with the metaphor, power, and biology of death for those who are in Christ. Because the Lord's the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a decisive event for understanding death itself. So I'm gonna ask two questions. Number one, what is death for a person who is in Adam? And number two, what is death for a person who is in Christ? What is death for a person who is in adam what is death for a person who is in christ and we're going to have five sub points under each of those five answers to each of those questions which provide a nice contrast between adam and jesus now when i say in adam i mean everyone who is not born again they share the the, the sin nature of our first parents adam and eve uh, they are still in their sins, which means they have not been forgiven of them. Uh, And when we survey the Bible, we find um, five things that help us understand what death is for a person who is still in Adam. Number one, death is a curse. Death is a curse. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. God's word says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that phrase for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die is the first mention of death in the Bible. Since nothing had ever died before, I can imagine that Adam and Eve might have been a little unclear on the concept. They might have been confused about what death entailed. But God's warning in this text is clear. The curse or judgment, nothing about voodoo and things of that sort. Curse here is just another word for judgment. God's curse or judgment for breaking his command is death. Now, there's something we ought to say at this point. We ought to see, and that's this. As one writer puts it, death does not appear to be a part of God's original plan for the race. In other words, humanity humanity was never meant to die. Nothing was ever meant to die. In God's original plan, we, we were created to live and to always live. But ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, death has been a permanent feature of human life. And and that's what tempts us to think that death is natural. We've been living with it so long uh, and living with it in in sort of all around us that that we've come to sort of think of death as natural. You know, things can be a certain way for so long that that you think that that's the way it's supposed to be. Think, for example, about a person so unhappy that they can't imagine happiness. and they they think they're supposed to be unhappy. Or or a person who struggles for so long with hopelessness that that they think that that's how life is meant to be. Before I got glasses, I used to think that everybody saw the way I did. Then I got glasses like, no, bro, you're blind. (laughs) We've seen children starving and malnourished for so long that the feeling and the sense of starvation uh, seems like natural life. Well, death is like that. But but now notice, death is a normal event, but it is not a natural event. Death is so very unnatural. That's why we fear it, and that's why we fight it. We were not made for it. Um, we were not made to die. But because of sin, that's God's judgment on the world. When you really think about it, our fight against death is really a hint, isn't it? that we have eternity written on our hearts. It's really a hint that we know intuitively that we were meant to go on living and not to cease living. That's why we fight death. It's unnatural. It's a curse that has come upon the world. But, But notice number two, and following from that, death is not just a curse, death is also universal. It's universal. That's part of what makes death seem so normal to us. It's, it's everywhere, it's all around us. All things human and animal and plant now die. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3, 19 and 20. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. In Romans chapter five verse twelve, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hebrews nine twenty seven says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, we all die, and after that comes the judgment. There are only two people in the Bible who ever escaped physical death. That's Enoch in Genesis five, and Elijah in second Kings. Every other person born will one day die. It's universal. In Adam, we cannot escape death. It's everywhere, it comes to us all. You cannot outrun it, you cannot overpower it. It's universal. Here's the third thing. The Bible teaches us that death in Adam is a wage. It's a wage. A wage is what you get paid for the work you do. In D.C., the minimum wage is $15 an hour. If you have a, an employer, a legal employer, uh, they're paying you at least $15 an hour for the work that you give. In the Bible, sin's an employer, sin's a master, sin's a slave master. And in the Bible, the minimum wage paid by sin is debt. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's the thing. Sin is a fair employer. Sin is a fair employer. It's not like some employers who promise you a wage and then don't pay you all that they owe you. No, no. Sin pays you exactly what it says in the Bible. Sin pays us death. We can be slaves for sin, and we are if we're still in Adam, and we can be working for sin and working for the enjoyment of sin, but that last paycheck is a killer. It's death. For the wages of sin is death. Another way to think about this is that uh, this idea of wages is that death is the natural consequence or the result of giving ourselves over to sin. There's a process outlined in James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 that goes through three sort of key steps. It goes from temptation to desire and desire to sin. Notice here, James 1, 13 to 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we can have sinful desires that are like a fishing hook. It's a lure. You know, it sparkles in front of us and it creates a little motion in the water. And and like fish hungry for sin, we can bite that lure. We can bite that hook. On that hook, when it gets inside of us, we, we gestate it like we're pregnant, and, and soon we give birth to that lustful, sinful desire and in the form of sin. And the natural outcome of sin is death. This is why we want to fight the war against death at the point of desire and temptation. Death is a curse, death is universal. Death is a wage. Number four, in Adam, death is also separation from God. So death is not just a physical thing. It's not just the biological body uh, ceasing to exist or to live. There is also in the Bible a spiritual death, which is actually spoken of more often than physical death. And that spiritual death is to be separated away from God and to live a life contrary to God. We'll give you a couple passages in the Bible where we see this. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh, the sin nature, is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 1 John chapter 5 verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So to be separated from Jesus is in fact to be spiritually dead. One writer puts it this way. Death, then, is not merely something that happens to people at the end of their lives. It is also the living out of their lives apart from the fellowship with God. Another writer says, death is an expression of a mode of living apart from life. Proverbs 8, 35 and 36. Dying, then, is understood as a negative way of living. It is a mode of living over against the way of life. That's what's shown to us in the wisdom literature. There, often death is pictured as living in a way that's contrary to God. Living in a way that's contrary to the wisdom that comes from God. In that way, people are walking dead all around us. They do not have Christ, so they do not have life. They do not live the way God instructs. And so they are walking around spiritually dead. And that's what Genesis 2.17 is, is tipping its hat at when it says that on the day that you eat this fruit, on that day you shall die. Obviously, Adam and Eve didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. On that day, they began to live in a way that was contrary to God. And on that day, they were separated from God when God judged them and put them out of the garden. This is what sin does. It destroys our relationship with ourselves, with the creation, and with the creator. And that destruction is death. That's what death is. One of the things that's most vital for you to realize if you're watching this and you're not yet a Christian is that you're actually dead, spiritually speaking. You are separated from God. You are alienated from Him. Your way of life is contrary to Him. that's because of your sin. That's the bad news. The good news is you can be alive. You can live the full life that God means you to live. Keep listening. Hear how life comes. Here's the fifth thing uh, as it relates to death in Adam. Number five, death is an enemy to Christ and humanity. You see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is not your friend. Death is your enemy. Death is my enemy. Death is a weapon in the hand of Satan. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says that, that Jesus has come to destroy the, the power of the devil, um, which, is, which is death. And it says that we, all of our lives, have lived in slavery to the fear of death. So death is a tool in the hand of Satan, and he uses that tool to torture us and to bring us to fear make us afraid of death, make us afraid of what's on the other side of death. It's our enemy. Now, if death is an enemy, we should never give in to it. If death is an enemy, it is never an answer to our problems. That's why suicide is never an answer, never a solution to our problems. Suicide does the enemy's work for him. Death is an enemy, and we should not comply with it. We should not make a treaty with it. We should find the real solution to it. So what have we said about death in Adam? Well, there's five things, it is a curse, it's God's judgment. It is number two, universal in scope. Number three, it is the wages or the payment, the result of sin. And number four, it separates us from God. And number five, obviously from those first four, it is an enemy to Christ and an enemy to us. Again, if you're not yet a Christian, the Bible says that that you're living underneath this reign, this this rule of death. You're living beneath God's judgment because of your sin. Um, Death is going to be the consequence of your sin. You're separated from God and will be separated from God if you die in your sin. And it's universal. You need to be rescued from death. You need to be rescued from sin and judgment. And I want you to please listen as we think about our second question. What death is like for those who are in Christ? For there is the answer to the rescue that you need. So our question, second question, what is death for a person who is in Christ? Most important event in the entire universe is the incarnation, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus deals a death blow to death itself. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all the realities of death in Adam are reversed for those who are in Christ. What does death mean for a person who is in Christ? Number one, five things. Number one, death proves God's love. In Christ, death is no longer a curse. In Christ, and specifically in Jesus' own death, death becomes a demonstration, it becomes proof of God's love for us. So Romans chapter five, verse eight says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the proof of of, not of cursing, but of blessing, of love. God shows his love for us and given his son on the cross for us in our place To pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. And now, nothing will separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Not even death itself. This is what we read in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. verse means we should not think of our death, our own death, without thinking of Jesus' death and when we think of Jesus' death that should lead us to the the recognition of God's love for us and, and we should want that love and if we have that love we should rejoice because we're never going to be separated from that love see it's Christ's death that proves God's love for us It's the second thing, death in Adam is universal, but death in Christ can be escaped right now. It can be escaped right now because of Jesus' death for us, death is no longer universal as it is in Adam. And this applies especially now to spiritual death, not, not bodily death. Now in Christ, we can escape spiritual death. John chapter five, verse 24. Jesus says there, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. To say that those who believe in Jesus already have eternal life is another way of saying they have escaped death. They will live forever, which was God's original intent. In fact, the transition has already happened. Did you notice that? Has passed from death to life. So to be in Christ is to be an always living, never dying person. Now in Christ, life is normal instead of death. in Christ, you've already escaped death. And we can be sure we have escaped this death how? How can we be sure? First John chapter three verse 14 says, "We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. See what's being said in these first two points about death in Christ. First, Jesus uses his own death to prove God's love for us. Then, having received that love, we prove we have escaped death by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus' death just keeps producing love. God's love for us, and then God's love through us to God's people. You see the contrast? The question becomes do you love the saints? Do you love other Christians? You love the Christians in your church. You love Christians in other churches. Because that's the proof of our having passed from death to life. See the contrast. In Adam, death is universal in scope. But in Christ, we can escape death right now if we put our trust in him. Which brings us to the third thing. In Christ, death is honor and gain. honor and gain. In Adam, death is a wage. It's a a payment. Uh, It's a payment that is given to us because of sin. And it's a terrible wage. It's a terrible salary. It's a salary that destroys the worker. But because of his cross and resurrection, Jesus has reversed the effect of death. Now, if a Christian were to die physically, remember, we, we don't die spiritually. If we were to die physically, then our death leads to reward. Think of Paul's words in Philippians chapter one, verses 20 and 21. Paul says there, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, notice, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. In Adam, apart from Christ, there is no honor in death. Death is simply a cruel tyrant that snatches the body away from us. In Adam, death ends life. But, but in Christ, death leads to a different payment. In Christ, we can die in a way that honors Jesus with our body. Paul was in jail when he wrote these words and facing the possibility of execution for the faith. So if we are persecuted to death or we sacrifice our bodies for the gospel, well, that's an honorable way to die. It brings honor to Christ. It brings honor to the Christian. We show in such cases that Jesus is worth more than life itself. We give the ultimate praise and sacrifice to him. And when we die, our death results not in loss, but in gain. See, the end of life in this body becomes the doorway to eternal profit. Jesus' wages are so much better than sins. The promise of an eternal reward with him is so much more glorious than the fleeting pleasures of sin. I hate to ask you to do this, but... But think about your most joyful moment of sin wasn't it just a moment wasn't it just a few minutes maybe an hour or two at most and then all the pleasures of sin made wings and flew away and then you were left with the husk you were left with the shell the emptiness that follows sin that that nobody ever really tells you about here, what we're being promised is is a pleasure and a joy that never flies away, that never fades away. It is always and forever gain. It is always and forever joy. That's what death brings the Christian, the person who dies in the Lord. We, we have a doorway open for us right onto never-ending pleasure in God. So death for us is honor and gain. Number four, Death is then a return to the Lord. In Christ, death is a return to the Lord. Before Christ and without Christ, death spiritual death was a separation from God. And if we were to die in that separation, we would eternally be separated from God. But since Christ has come, and with Christ and union with Christ, now the Christian, who the person who dies in Christ, now that means we, we return to the Lord through death. We see this in at least two places in the Bible very clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Philippians 1, verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Here's a third. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Because our physical body, uh, bodies die, uh, that death results in our being with the Lord. The Christian actually welcomes death because of this. Paul says, notice there, he would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That that would be his first choice. It's a a tough decision but, but his desire is to depart and to be with Christ. See, on the other side of physical life for the Christian is eternal life with the God who loved us and gave himself up for us. On the other side of death for the Christian is Jesus. When the Christian compares life in this body to life with the Lord, well, It always keeps coming out, Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, there are precious things about this life, many gifts that God has given us that can make that a a hard decision. But but every Christian in their right mind gets to the bottom of the column, gets to the bottom of the page, and when he adds it all up, it's like it's far better to be with Jesus than it is to continue in this life. We encourage you, beloved to make this comparison regularly. to encourage you to make it a regular part of your devotion, of your piety, of your spiritual walk, to just find a quiet moment and to sort of do the comparison between life with Jesus in his presence and this embodied physical life, which is better. The Bible says life with Jesus is far better. We, we need to keep doing that math. We need to keep doing that calculus so that we don't slip into being at home in this world. And we don't slip into seeking our greatest satisfaction in this world. But we keep our eyes fixed on that savior who has conquered death for us and purchased life for us. And we keep our eyes fixed on that reality for which we were made. Eternal life with Christ. I mean, the gospel is so good that it transforms death as separation from God into death as a return and reunion with God. In Adam, death separates us. In Christ, death returns us. It unites us to God. Which brings us to our fifth thing. Death has been abolished in Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means the death of death itself. The Lord Jesus has not accomplished a salvation that leaves us vulnerable to some future death. We're not like Lazarus, raised from the grave, only to die again. The gospel is not that Jesus saves us from sin, but leaves us to be victimized by death. In saving us, Jesus frees us from all of our enemies, including death. The cross was a funeral for death itself. Second Timothy chapter one verse ten says, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior in Christ, our Savior Christ Jesus, who notice, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When you abolish something, you end it. You declare it illegal, null, and void. You, you remove his existence. The text here says Jesus abolished death. So, we belong to a reality where death no longer exists, not ultimately. And so, we read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So, the power of the gospel and eternal life reach. As him, hymn have puts it, as far as the curse is found. Not only does it reach as far as the curse is found, but it also ends the curse of death itself. <coughs> it frees us. So again, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Through death, Jesus destroyed the devil who had the power of death. And now with the devil and death destroyed, there's nothing for us to fear if we are in Christ. We can't be made slaves again because we are afraid of death. Death and, and the power of death have been abolished. As one writer puts it, by accepting the death he did not deserve, Christ has broken the power of death for his followers. So if we're Christians, we are like those African Americans in Galveston, Texas on June 19, 1865. We had been in slavery to the fear of death, had been working for it. We have continued working in that slavery of fear, some of us, even though we have, uh, Christ has already accomplished the victory. But the gospel now is the notice that has come to us. It's the announcement that our slavery is over. Death itself has been abolished. We have indeed been set free in that Christ who liberates us by his own death and in the power of his resurrection. So, in Adam, death is a curse. But in Christ, it is proof of God's love. In Adam, death is universal in scope. But in Christ, we may escape death even now. In Adam, death is a wage of sin. But in Christ, death is the means to honor and gain. In Adam, death separates us from God. But now, in the death of Christ and through our death with him, we are reunited and returned to God. In Adam, death is an enemy. In fact, the Greek word death, thanatos, is where we get the name Thanos from. He is an enemy, a supervillain. But in Christ, death is abolished. It's done away with. So we should conclude. How then should we respond? Earlier in the series, we made the point that we will always be embodied. The body is not something holding us back that we will one day shed like snake skin. Even in the life to come, we will exist in bodies. They will be different bodies. They will be uh, spiritual bodies, but we will be embodied. But in the life to come, some will still face death. Not the Christian, but the one who dies in Adam. And unlike death in this life, when, when the body stops living in this life, in the next life, the body will continue to exist in this death. This is what the, body, what the Bible calls the second death. It's the final judgment. It's one of the, ways, the many ways that the Bible talks about the reality of hell. Some will escape the second death by trusting in Jesus before they die the first death. And others who refuse to trust Him will die not only a first death, but also die this second death this final spiritual judgment and consignment to hell. I hear how John writes about this in Revelation. Some will escape. Revelation 2:11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 20, verses five and six. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. But some will not escape the second death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. One more, Revelation 21, verses 6 to 8. And he said to me, an angel, it is done, or excuse me, Christ, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, that is the one who goes on in faith, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The question becomes, beloved, when we are all done with this earthly tent, when we have lived this embodied life, will we suffer or will we escape the second death? Don't suffer it. Please, by all means, escape it. Turn to Jesus in faith. Put your confidence in him as your God, as your savior, as the one who gave up his body on the cross to suffer the penalty of your sins. And the one who was raised from the grave in a resurrected body in order to purchase for you a resurrected life with God, to return you from death to God, that you might live eternally with God in his love, in the pleasures of his presence. That's how you escape the second death, is by turning to Jesus before you suffer the first death. Put your faith in him. Trust in him. Do it now, I pray. For we are not guaranteed tomorrow or even the next hour. Hope in Christ and you will live. Death will have no claim on you. You will pass from death to life, just as God promises in his son. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you have destroyed the power of death and you have destroyed our great enemy. You have, Lord, set us free to live, to live eternally, to live in accordance with your rule, to live life to its fullest. Not in some worldly way, not in some carnal way, but to live life in its fullest in a spiritual and a holy way. For you have made us brand new. Through Christ, so we pray, O Lord, that You would make us fearless in the face of death, knowing that it cannot hold us, it cannot touch us. And we pray that You would give us joy in the midst of grief, as we, Lord, grieve the loss of loved ones. We we pray for uh, our sister Deb, just lost her mom. We pray, O Lord, for our sister Jacqueline, whose uh, whose mother would have had a birthday just a few days ago. We pray for others who have suffered loss in their families and in their friendship networks. May we, as your word says, Lord, um, sort of think about these things and and face these things, not as those who have no hope. May we face these things as those who already have tasted the power of the resurrection and who know that Christ is coming. And Lord, and who know that we will be united with him forever in glorified body to enjoy him in that new world to its fullest. So we say, comfort those who grieve, and come quickly for your church, we pray. In Jesus' name,